Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. Incredible week that was last weekend. I, I got to watch a little bit of it online, and there's nothing more exciting than seeing people go bold and go public with their faith. Even if I don't think that one guy got fully baptized, Pastor Carter, you didn't get him all the way. Okay, you pushing back down? Okay, that's good. Um, well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you again here as we continue our series, uh, Faith and Family. Today we are focusing, we've talked about finances, we've talked about relationships, how this all works and stuff, and today we're going to focus on the part that uh, helps make a family a family, and that's specifically um, parenting and kids. And although you may be someone who doesn't have uh, kids at home, or maybe you've already sent your kids out to the world, uh, everyone in this room or watching online is able to connect somehow with someone who has kids, who may, you may be able to coach them, love them, but really it's, it's one of those weeks for us that I think is so crucial for us as a, as a church to understand the importance of uh, what it means to truly uh, disciple and lead, uh, well, as we call it, disciple little humans. Um, I was trying to figure out originally why Pastor Ricardo said, hey, here's the, here's what I want, here's the weekend I'd like you to take in this series. And as I thought about it, I thought there was probably a few reasons why he asked me specifically to, uh, to maybe address this. First of all, um, this August, my wife Robin and I are celebrating uh, 23 years of marriage. Uh, yeah, pretty exciting. I'm, I'm very, very happy about that. Um, our first child, Audrey, was born at nine months after our wedding day. And so we've never not had a child in our home. Uh, I've been married for 23 years, uh, be 23 years, and I've had a kid around the entire time. So really, as a married couple, we've never known what it's not like to have a, a kid in the house. That may be one reason. Uh, another reason, I think, is because we did not plan at all for our first three kids that we had. Uh, Audrey, Austin, and Autumn were all um, very unexpected. I wish I could say uh, that I responded with joy and excitement, uh, but after Audrey was born and she turned out perfectly. I was not excited to hear that we were adding more children to the mix. I'm like, after you have one and she's perfect, like, mm, we got to stop right there. Don't, don't chance it. Um, especially after uh, there was a five-year break between Austin and Autumn, and once you're done with diapers, you never want to go back to diapers. I mean, I know I'm looking forward to diapers for myself someday, but you know, when you're done with your kids, you're like, I, I don't want any more of those. But um, uh, I think we realize that uh, the unexpected craziness that comes with having kids in your lives is probably another, another reason. Uh, my family, uh, my wife and I also know the, uh, the sorrow uh, uh, that came after Autumn when we lost our next child um, due to a miscarriage. And it was hard. It was a very hard moment for us as a couple, uh, for our kids. And uh, the next, uh, every night for the next year, my, my son Austin would end his day with this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Help me have a good night's sleep. And thank you for my mommy and my daddy and my sisters and my brother and me. I'd remind him, Austin, you don't have a brother. You don't, there's, there's just you. You've got your sisters and you. That's it. He goes, oh, I'm going to have a brother. And so I think in this moment, we realize the, uh, the big faith of our, of our kids. So one of the reasons is probably because we understand that it's hard. Having a family is not easy, but it's also inspiring when your kids help you can see the greatness and, and wonderfulness of, of who God is. Um, before I uh, ventured down here to be part of what's going on at Journey Church, I spent 15 years in Seattle uh, working in, in children and family ministry. I was able to uh, help thousands of kids and their parents uh, understand some really big truths about our really big, amazing God, 
And I think that might be the other reason. I have a pretty good understanding of what it takes to uh, help kids grow up to love Jesus. And I'm happy to say that my kids all love Jesus. I, I, I was able to lead every single one of them to the Lord in different instances for different reasons and different experiences. I was able to baptize every single one of them. And so to have my own kids who are now in their 20s and well, early teens all still love the Lord is a huge, is a huge blessing for me. I, I wake up every day just so, so, so thankful for that. And so I just want to be honest, I may get a little emotional about some things this morning because the greatest thing in my life is not being a pastor, is not having a great job, having, uh, being, you know, this close to Disneyland and it's open again so I can go. It's, uh, it's being a dad. Being a dad and a husband is really the greatest thing in my life. And so as I talk about this today, realize it comes out of my heart, not only for uh, what I've learned from my family, but what I hope I can encourage you and the people that you know and the kids and the grandkids in your life on the difference that you can make for them. Will you join me in a quick word of prayer and then let's jump into some fun stuff today. Lord, thank you so much for families. Uh, thank you for the verse that reminds us, the Lord sets the lonely in families. There's a reason why we are surrounded by the mess, by the craziness, by the wonderfulness, by the awkwardness, by everything that comes to having people in our lives. Uh, God, I thank you for every parent in this room, every grandparent. I thank you for every future parent and every kid that's represented by anybody that's here with us today, whether they're online or on site. God, I just pray that today you'll encourage us to really understand and discover more of what we can do to help our kids grow up to be amazing people who love you and will help change this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the title of our series, Faith and Family, great place to start, because I will be honest, I don't know how I would have done anything I've done as a dad or a, or a father uh, without a dad or a father, dad or a husband, that's what I meant to say, without the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Uh, that's been the major difference for everything I've done. I mean, I can dress up real nice. I've got a new shirt on today. Love it. I look really good on Facebook, and I got some nice Instagram pictures, but honestly, I'm a very messy guy with a very messy past. Um, in spite of being a pastor and a missionary kid, I am far, far, far from perfect. My wife will remind you of that, and so will my children. I have a tendency to get irritated when things don't go my way, uh, to freak out when life gets stressful, and transparency, I have been known to yell at my kids really loudly and with a lot of intensity and suddenly realize all the windows are opening and the neighbors are listening. It's very embarrassing. We're talking today about what it means to disciple little humans, and even though my kids and maybe some of yours are not quite so little anymore, I know that the things that I say, the choices that I make, they impact my kids, and what, more importantly, who they're going to become someday. So you may not think of your job as a parent, as one who creates disciples. When we say discipling little humans, it's really saying it's our job as parents, and even, you know, kind of a extra job as grandparents or someone who has influence on kids' lives, to disciple them. Disciple is such a churchy word that it's hard to separate it from this idea of Jesus and his 12 disciples. I mean, when you think disciple, you think, oh, Jesus and these 12 guys who followed him around, they did all this stuff together. But the word really means this. Disciple means one who accepts and assists in spreading the doctrine of another, a convinced adherent of a school or individual. To me, that sounds an awful lot like parenting. If you're fulfilling your role as a parent or a grandparent, especially one who loves Jesus and is called according to his purpose, then your end goal is to have a child who accepts and assists in spreading the word, uh, the good things that you've done, and you've taught them and raised them to live out. They are a convinced adherence of, of you and, and what you've learned and taught them. 
you probably have heard the phrase, well, my mom always did it this way, or my dad always did it that way, uh, or that's how my family has always done it. You may have said that yourself. Because we raise our kids to be good disciples of things like uh, what food should taste like, what you should do on the holidays, and uh, like what traditions you should do for, for different things. Uh, for instance, think about how your mom cooked um, spaghetti or how she made tacos, which to me, I grew up in the 70s, tacos were like, oh, taco night. They don't taste like tacos did like today. They, ta- they, they tasted really anemic. They were not good. But to me, if I tasted that same flavor today, I'd be like, oh, this is how a taco should taste. I'm sorry, Pastor Carter. They're, they're the whitest tacos in the world. And they are the salsa. We didn't even have salsa. I think we put ketchup on them. It was the 70s, okay? A lot of weird stuff was happening. Come on, be cool. And uh, so we think about these things. That's where we kind of build these disciples about how things are happening. Uh, for uh, example, for us, I've raised my kids to be very big disciples of Christmas traditions. I've talked a lot about Christmas with you guys, and that's because I love the season. And so uh, a great example of this is when we moved to California a couple years ago, uh, we, we decided to make a change. You see, my, uh, Rob and I, when we got married, we chose to have a live Christmas tree uh, our first Christmas. And from then on, it was a live Christmas tree for 20 years. Every year, live Christmas tree, we'd get, a, we'd get a tree the day after Thanksgiving, take it home, decorate it. By Christmas, it was pretty dead, but it had a lot of memories for us. And the kids were like, oh, live Christmas tree. Last year, we decided to get a fake Christmas tree. And uh, you pretty much would have thought that uh, we had committed the greatest doctrinal sin in the history of the church. My kid's like, a fake tree? What? No, we can't. We do a live tree. We always do a live tree. I'm like, let's never do a fake. No, how could you do this? I mean, it was, it was pretty controversial. I mean, there was some very big slamming of doors and a lot of uh, emotions around it because we discipled our kids to believe the thing to have is a live tree. Uh, we found a really good one on Amazon that kind of put off the vibe of a live tree. And with enough lights and enough decorations on it and an air freshener stuck in the middle of it, it really put off the cool uh, live Christmas tree vibe. And so they begrudgingly accepted it. But uh, that's, that's kind of what this means to be a disciple of something. My hope is that my kids will grow up to be more than just disciples of live Christmas trees, but actually bigger and greater things. And that's my hope for your guys' kids as well. But whether or not that happens depends really on uh, some important things that um, I think that we learned about parenting and what I've learned through ministering to families over the last many years of my life. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I am not a parenting expert. I do not set myself up to be considered one. My kids are not perfect. They do argue, and they do get very annoying at times. They ask dumb questions often, and sometimes they don't think before they speak. My kids are prone to selfishness. They can be unkind. And patience has never been their strongest suit. Huh. Sounds just like their parents. That's right. That's because they're little humans. They are, they are just like us. So today's sermon uh, title, this idea of uh, uh, parenting little humans, discipling them, is very, very appropriate. Because it's easy to look at a newborn baby, right, and think, oh, what a perfect angel. So perfect. And for like the first five seconds after they've stopped crying when they're newborn, they are perfect. And then after that, it's all downhill. I'm not, I'm not saying that to be mean, but it's, it's, it's true. Kids are, kids are human, which means they're fallen creatures, and which means there's sin in their lives. And the Bible makes that very clear in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, there's all this whole thing about how, you know, how old does a kid become when they finally make the decision to actually commit a sin? I'll tell you when. When your toddler looks at you for the first time and goes, no. 
You're like, oh yeah, there's the sinful creature right there. I see that. You look like me now. Now, thank you so much. You know, and uh, and and, and th- that's where we realize that they need us to be those parents who um, disciple them. Exactly. Here's the deal. Childhood is. Um, it truly is a wonderful, special, incredible time of life. It deserves to be cherished. It deserves to be kept innocent. And children are truly given a special place in God's heart. Kids have big hearts, big faith, big emotions. And all of these things are things that God loves. Jesus even said it would be better for someone to be drowned in the ocean than for them to be allowed to hurt a single child. God loves kids. I mean, Jesus died for them too, after all, right? Which is why he wants us to disciple them, to discipline them, to help them grow up to be incredibly awesome people. That is our task as parents, and that's our kind of our side task as grandparents or anyone who has influence over kids. Our job is not to raise, our job is to raise kids to be good people. Our job is not to make our kids happy. Our world sends a much different message to say, and if you've got kids, you understand what I'm talking about. The world celebrates kids as this wonderfully deserving, innocent creatures who deserve every good and perfect thing that we can give them. And through magazines and blogs and ads and social media, we are convinced we must give our kids the perfect childhood. We're constantly encouraged to put exuberant amount of works into making our kids happy. We make sure our kids play every sport they want to, and even some they don't because we wanted to play it as kids and our mom and dad wouldn't let us. You're going to play soccer. Why? because I didn't play soccer, so you're going to play soccer. <laughs> or make them take, uh, you know, art lessons and extracurricular activities. You're going to take piano lessons. Why? Because I didn't take piano lessons. Oh. And so we, we do all this stuff, and the whole goal for that is to, you know, make our kids happy and successful, and, and then we compare it to all the stuff on, on Instagram and social media and Pinterest, and we see all these families that are happy and, and bucket list families going and living in Bora Bora, and we're like, why can't, oh, we just got to give our kids all this, and I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to use a word, I'm sorry, I'm going to use a, a swear word that my good Christian missionary mother learned growing up on a farm. That is a load of crap. You see, mom and dad, our, our job is not to make our kids happy. Our job is not to give them a wonderful life full of joy and sunshine and lollipops and rainbows and all the things that we didn't have when we were kids. Our job is to raise, nurture, develop, and disciple little humans. So here's um, about six things that I, that I firmly believe every kid needs from parents, grandparents, and adults who can speak into their lives. I wish I could share 60 things, because I literally wrote 10 versions of this today. I, I, there were so many things I could say, so many things I was thinking about. Oh, I wish someone had said, oh, what about that? I even asked on my Facebook page, like, hey, uh, what do you wish someone had said to you? And there were so many responses, I'm like, oh, I can't use all of those things. So maybe I'll say them for a different sermon series or something else to come along. But the thing is, it's, there's so much that we want as Christian parents to be able to Im- Im- imbue and give to our kids, because the world is not on our side. The world does not want us to disciple them. The world doesn't care about what we're going to talk about today, but we do, and we want to invest into that. Just a reminder, though, this will not make your family perfect. No family is perfect, but it may help us end up with kids and grandkids who really understand their calling and their purpose. There's some obvious things that kids need, and I'm going to assume you already know these. They need clothes, they need food, um, place to sleep, and the occasional bath. 
especially during the summer, let them get dirty, right? Just let them enjoy it. Uh, but I'm going to warn you, these are not all super spiritual ideas. I mean, at least one of them has really no super spiritual application to it at all, except that I think God likes us to enjoy ourselves and to have fun. The first one is actually that. Kids need a reason to celebrate. They need something to enjoy in life. And one of the joys of the random holidays that we have throughout the year is that kids like them. Kids like St. Patrick's Day, not for the same reason adults do, but because they like St. Patrick's Day. Everything's green, they get to pinch people. The worst part of being a kid's pastor in St. Patrick's Day was that if I didn't wear green, I got pinched like crazy. I'm like, I'm wearing green underwear. And you can't say to the kid, hey, I'm going to prove it to you, right? You just know. So kids like to pinch each other on that. Uh, Valentine's Day, because everyone loves getting cards and things saying, I love you, be my Valentine. Um, Groundhog Day, which is kind of a weird holiday unless you're Bill Murray. And then it's like, okay, but kids like it because it's a celebration. You see, kids just like having something to be happy about and to enjoy. The problem is with Pinterest, Every parent who has a Pinterest page looks at it and goes, oh, here's how I need to make this extravagant big thing for my kid for this special holiday. I'm going to be one of those guys. When I was a kid, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have Pinterest. We didn't have all this extra stuff of things that people did to make sure their kids had these wonderful creative examples of how to be the best parent. You took a, a big craft to school and showed your teacher, and everyone's like, oh, you have the best Valentines because your mom spent seven hours last night making them for you. And Billy's like, yeah, I didn't make these at all. But mom took a picture and posted them on Facebook. It was like, oh, you're such a great mom. That's, no. You see, my mom had a good housekeeping magazine that she cut stuff out of and pinned it on the fridge. And uh, we used Betty Crocker cake mix for our cakes. And um, you know, it, was, it was nothing meant to be extra, extra crazy, crazy and special. Because kids don't care how much it costs. They don't care how much time you spent making it look amazing. That's your thing. That's our thing as parents to prove to somebody else that, oh, look how much I love my kid. What kids care about is that you're putting the time into doing something that they enjoy, and they enjoy doing it with you. That's the key. The cheap box of Valentine's from the grocery store completely okay with a kid. Betty Crocker mix, good. Green food coloring added to the milk on St. Patrick's Day with a bowl of Lucky Charms, that's all you need for a kid. And if you give them like two bowls of Lucky Charms on St. Patrick's Day, it's like the best day ever. It was for me when I was a kid. I mean, I still like Lucky Charms. It's kind of a, a problem for me. The old Easter egg decorating kit, remember those with the little metal thing that came in them? It's like, it's like a dollar for those. You still soak them in vinegar, the whole house smells for like a week, but man, kids love that stuff. And as long as it's messy and you're having fun sitting around the table doing it together, that's what matters most. It's always National Something Day in America, right? I mean, it's, get free ice cream cones on National Ice Cream Cone Day. Get, eat a hot dog on National Hot Dog Day. Last week was National Donut Day, so all six of us piled in the van. We drove over to Krispy Kreme, and we got our free donuts. Why? Because it's just something to do, something to fun, have fun, and something to celebrate. All these reasons that you can have something to do are, are very easy. May the 4th, Star Wars Day. And for those of you who love sports, whatever the sport thing is that you like to do on your opening day of your sport thing, do that. Barbecue, watch football, play baseball. I, mean, I don't really know the sport thing very well at all. So. But you do it, and you enjoy it. That's what, that's, what, that's what matters. Here's the deal. If all else fails, you remember this. The greatest gift you can give your kids is the gift of your time. That's what they need the most. With so many things to celebrate, there's no excuse for being selfish with the most important thing. Because it's the only thing that you'll never get more of, right? 
So after we have fun celebrating with our kids, we tend to get a little more, I try to focus on something a little more serious, and that is teaching our kids to uh, learn to say thank you. This isn't about teaching your kids to be polite, because as you know, kids can say all the right things all the time and not mean it at all. You tell your sister you're sorry. I'm sorry. Very suspicious. I don't think he actually meant that. Right? Kids will say whatever they want their parents hear them say because they want to get away with it and want mom and dad to stop being angry about it. So kids, politeness is not what this is about. It's really about a bigger thing because it's a spiritual discipline. The discipline is called gratitude. Gratitude is defined as a feeling or attitude in acknowledgement of a benefit that one has received or will receive. Think about that. It's acknowledging a benefit that someone has given you. When was the last time you actually saw someone, or maybe you showed for yourself, gratitude? I mean, sure, we celebrate Thanksgiving every, th- every November, and if your family's like mine, um, the turkey smells amazing, the mashed potatoes are good, everything's good, and the house smells awesome, but before you let anyone eat anything, um, my kids love this tradition, and by saying I love, I'm saying they really don't like this tradition at all, but I make them do it anyway, where I make them stop before we eat and say, tell me one thing you're thankful for for the last year. To be honest, this last Thanksgiving was a little harder than more normal. But you pause and say, what's something you're thankful for? What's something you're grateful for that happened this last year? Because we need to pause as often as we can to say thank you to those people around us. The problem is we don't do it because most of us think what we're getting is something that we deserve. The kids already think that anyway, because society, television, internet, all work together to create an attitude of entitlement. Kids think they deserve that stuff that you bought them the vacation you took them on, and maybe that's because that's our attitude too. Hey, I work hard for this. I deserve this car. I deserve this house. I deserve this vacation. I deserve this. I earned this, so it's mine. I get this, and that's contrary to everything that the Bible teaches us about any good thing we have in our lives. The Bible says it this way in James 1, 7, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Anything good that we have in our lives has nothing to do with us. It's all from God, who blesses us because He loves us and doesn't treat us any differently based on how He feels that day. That's what it means when He said God doesn't change like shifting shadows. God's love and His blessing on your life is the same every single day. Teaching your kids to say thank you for presents, for dinner, for helping them with schoolwork, for anything that comes their way, helps them show this idea of gratitude. And parents, it's up to us to model that for our kids. It's up to us to help them realize we don't deserve anything. If we got what we deserve, we'd all be in hell. But God didn't go to us, hey, nope. He doesn't give us what he deserves. He looks and says, I love you, I'm going to bless you, and this is my gift to you. So the next time you have a vacation, thanks God for this amazing chance to do this thing. Oh, wow, I'm driving a car today. Thank you for the ability to drive a car. God, thanks that I have fingers. Think of everything that you have and be able to say to God, thank you for that and model that for our kids. Number three is hard for us as parents because we think that we are, should be it. The only voice that speaks to our kids, especially when the world is as crazy as it is. Like, I just want to protect you and make sure that no one bad influences get around you, right? I'm going to wrap you in bubble wrap and then we're going to just 
protect you for the rest of your life until you're old enough to not mess up too badly. And then the confession is, the truth is, the older you get, the more you mess up. The, the messes just get bigger, right? So number three is after the kids need other adults who will speak into their lives. While you may be the biggest influence in your child's life, you aren't and cannot be the only one. Your kids need to have outside voices who will echo what you say, encourage your kids to grow, and challenge them along the journey that God has called them to. Because your kids will, um, they will choose other voices to listen to. It's uh, kind of what kids do to assert their journey and kind of assert their independence and figure out their way in the world. But I'm going to be honest with you, kids choose dumb people to follow and listen to. They do. They'll choose some guy on the internet who records himself playing Minecraft and puts it up on YouTube. It's weird. Yeah, or, or, or some singer with a great voice but very questionable lyrics. Or an actor who's like, oh, I love that. I love that guy in that movie. But then he's like morally like not okay. And it, as kids follow these voices, bad things will happen to them. A great example of this is in the, in the book of First Kings. Uh, Solomon, you heard of Solomon, the, the, the wisest man who ever lived. He asked God, God said, I'll give you anything you want. And all Solomon says is, God, just give me wisdom. So God goes, great, I'll give you wisdom, and then I'll give you everything else too. He dies and leaves this incredible kingdom full of wealth, full of, uh, full of amazing things, the blessing of God, to his oldest son, Rehoboam. Uh, the, he's a new king, and he has like, I'm going to have a face-to-face -face with my subjects. So imagine, um, ima well, imagine like the, the new governor shows up and he calls all the people of California to come visit him uh, in Sacramento. So we all show up. And there's Rehoboam. He's like, tell me what you wish I would know. And the people say, listen, Rehoboam, your dad was wise, but he taxed the heck out of us. Can you just lower the taxes a little bit? And if you do that, we will follow you. We'll be loyal. You got, we're with you. Rehoboam's like, okay, give me three days and I'll figure out what I should say to you people. So he goes back and he goes to the old counselors, these older men who have been his father's counselors through his, through his uh, time reigning the kingdom. And the old men say this to him in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 7. The older counselors replied, if you are willing to be a servant to these people today and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. Rehoboam, if you go back and are nice to these people, they will follow you to the ends of the earth. That's pretty good advice. Actually, that's, that's great advice. Rehoboam's like, yeah, okay, that's good. Good advice. Good, I like that. I like that. Um, you know, you guys are old, not cool. I got some friends over here. They're young, and they're cool. And their TikTok account is amazing, so I'm going to go talk to them real quick. So he goes over to his friends. Guys, what should I do? Here's what his friends answer back. This is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's entire waist. I really don't understand the context of that comment. It's a little weird. Like, is it an insult to someone? Yeah, well, my little finger is thicker than your father's waist. I mean, what does that mean? I guess he's trying to say, look, my dad was tough, but I'm tougher, right? And he goes on, yes, my father laid a heavy burden on you, but I'm going to make a burden even heavier. Yep, and here's my favorite. They say to him, hey, tell your, tell your people this. My father beats you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. That's really good advice, right? 
Imagine, imagine if... Um, Imagine if Gavin Newsom came out in, Sac- in Sacramento. We were all standing there. Hey, Gavin, if you, uh, you just lower everything, we will follow you. He's like, okay, let me talk. You know, you know what? I'm going to make it worse. In fact, you think taxes are bad now? I'm going to raise them 100%. I'm going to beat the heck out of you with scorpions. We'd all be like, what? Dude. But Rehoboam goes back to the people and says that. He literally tells them, I'm going to make it worse. I'm going to beat you with scorpions, which I think is the weirdest thing and the most it's crazy. And guess what happens? Guess what the people respond with? Yes, Rehoboam, we love this. What a great idea. No. They literally rebel. The kingdom falls apart. It's split in two. Rehoboam's kingdom becomes just the people, the tribe of Judah. Everyone else goes somewhere else. And the house of David no longer has the, the, the blessing of God. Completely falls apart because he followed bad advice. As the keeper of the grail says in Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, he chose poorly. That's why it's so important to find adults who can speak into your kids' lives besides you. Other voices are going to say something. It's great if you can help channel who those voices will be. And they don't have to be here at church. Great Christian men and women in your community who love kids and can speak into them. A coach, a counselor, a drama teacher, a music teacher, a teacher— the guy who has the yard that all the kids play in because it's so cool. All of these people could be those people for your children. The thing is, you need to help push them toward that. Why does it matter? Let me give you an example from my life. When I was, as a pastor, I've said this to people all the time. Have other voices speaking to your kids. Have someone else help your kids. They're, it's so important they have a life group leader or someone who can help connect them with the things that you want to say, but they don't, they don't want to hear it from you all the time. And I've said that for years. I never actually realized how much it mattered until uh, my, my daughter Autumn turned uh, 13 and we moved to California. That year, the years up to that, a couple years, were, were big changes for my family. Changed my job. Kids changed their school. Um, changed to a whole new state. Whole new way of life. Another school. Another church. And, you know, stress is huge for kids that experience everything with their parents. And they say, you know, moving is one of the biggest ones. Well, changing schools in the middle of a school year, not easy either. And I watched her struggle with some stuff. I'm like, how are you going to get through this? Well, what's awesome is that um, what helped her discover joy, happiness, and even connect deeper with her faith was, uh, was her small group leaders. Two gals at her church who, uh, who invested in her. They pick her up every Wednesday night. I mean, our church is only a mile uh, from our house, so we could easily drive her there. But they come and they pick her up, Mariah and Cassie, every Wednesday. They pick up Autumn. They can't wait to go to camp with her this week. They can't wait to talk to her. And over the last two years, they have loved her and encouraged her and helped her grow in her faith in ways that her mom and I never, ever could. It's important for your kids to have these other people speaking into their lives because they will find voices. Don't you want to be voices that you are excited about, voices that love God the way that you do, I can help them grow in their faith. So key. Your children are going to hear all the time about how they messed up, because we as parents do that, right? We let them know, hey, don't do that. Hey, stop that. Sit up straight. Don't do... Why? Because that's our job as parents, right? After all, Proverbs 22 verse 6 says this, direct your children onto the right path, and when they're older, they will not leave it, right? That's our job. Kids, Stay on the right path. The problem is, kids know when they've messed up. They know they, 
they caused the problem, they made the mistake, and when they mess up, what, do, what is our response as a parent? Well, we kind of blow up on them and kind of blow it out of proportion and really make a big deal about the way they already messed up. I know this because I'm that kind of a parent. My wife's an amazing cook, makes some really good food. Um, we enjoy eating together as a family every single night. She makes great food, but my youngest son, August, has been a picky eater most of his life. He's getting better now that he's nearly 13 years old, but and, uh, when he was a little kid, especially like two or three years old, he did not like to eat anything that wasn't macaroni and cheese or a hot dog. If the meat looked weird, had a grain of rice, or had anything green in it, he would complain a bit, not want to eat, and then start whining about it. <laughs> and what, what did I do? Hey, buddy, it's okay. Hey, man, just, ha- just have something to eat, man. It's good. No. What is wrong with you? Your mother made this meal for you. Why can't you eat your dinner? I'm like, ah! He's two. And I'm wondering now, why are you crying? I just want you to eat your dinner. Ah! My wife's like. And the other three kids are currently staring at their plate looking, oh my gosh, daddy, why are you doing this? Why is this happening? Right? Because we, I blew up. My response was not what he needed at that moment. And that's the response. It's the opposite of what I want if I mess up. What I want from my life, when I have a mistake happen, what do I, I want someone to show me grace. I want someone to show me that, uh, you know what, I understand how badly I messed up here, but can you just give me a little, I'm not asking for slack, I don't want to get away with something, but can you show me that it's going to be okay? He looked at me as if, I because I, mean, I, I have a very angry, scary face when I get really mad, and so he's like, yeah, I, I look back on it now, I feel a lot of regret over what I did. But the thing is, we want this grace to happen for us as parents. We want the grace for us as adults. We need to give that same grace to our kids. Because if we want to have grace-filled children who are uh, quick to forgive, slow to anger, and generally awesome, then we need to be grace-filled parents. When our kids get a less-than-perfect report card, listen, if they didn't fail the class, move on. Measure it with grace. When your child spills something on the rug, the brand-new carpet, they're walking with spaghetti over a place they shouldn't walk, and the entire plate spilled because the dog tripped them. You don't yell at them and scream at them. I'm saying this because I've done it. Remember the grace that we received for much greater transgressions. Romans 3.24 says it this way, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. God showers us with grace. The things we've done and the sins we've committed far outweigh the Sharpie artwork on the bathroom door. Yes, the same kid. God gives us his grace with no conditions and makes us right in his eyes. So imagine the next time your child messes up. They know they did. They expect you to yell and they know a punishment is coming. But imagine this time you don't yell or threaten. Imagine that you lead with grace. It's God's response to you after all, so why not model it for your kids? Let them see that even their worst transgression is not above forgiveness and that nothing can separate you from their love. After all, that's what Jesus says to us. Neither height nor depth nor any other creature can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. God helps us realize that nothing we do is ever so bad that the people who love us most will ever stop loving us. And every kid needs to know that. Even the ones who won't eat their green vegetables. Just a couple more. We're almost done. Kids need us to, though, discipline them. Leading with grace does not mean there are no consequences for kids when they make an unwise choice. When I mess up, God certainly forgives me. When you mess up, he forgives you. But there are still going to be results of our bad choices that we have to deal with. And pretty much the older we get, the harder it is for us to go through them. 
The trouble is we've come to equate the word discipline with punishment, and they're not the same thing. It's not done out of anger or as a whim. It's not arbitrary or capricious. The Latin word for discipline actually comes from disciplus, which means instruction and knowledge. The actual goal with discipline in whatever form you choose to use is the goal is to help your kids learn and gain knowledge about wise choices, unwise choices, and what happens next. A classic example of this is when I was, uh, my brother and I joined the little girl next door in a fun afternoon activity one summer when I was a kid. Um, we found a bunch of dirt clods on the side of the yard, you know, the kind of, kind of clumpy mud with grass growing out of them. And we spent an entire day just throwing those things, hucking them like crazy. Why do we spend money on toys for kids? Just give them dirt and mud, they're happy, right? Or a box to play in. And so we're chucking this, and finally, after doing it for several hours, we got bored, and so one of us had the idea, hey, let's throw out the house next door. So we started doing that chucking these giant dirt clods of mud and rocks and grass at the house next door, which was painted white. That went on for about 10 minutes until the mom uh, came suddenly, and strange enough, I don't know why she had this strong reaction, running out the door, screaming and yelling, and the thing she said, I cannot repeat in church. This was an unwise choice, right? I did not make the wise choice. I grew up in the era of when you did something like that, you got spankings for it. So yeah, I got a spanking for it. And I, not only to get the spanking, but I had to wash the house and I had to help repaint the house on a hot summer day. So we literally spent the next two days repainting and having a consequence of what we'd done. As the writer of Hebrews says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. It's not easy or fun to discipline our kids. But the thing is, if we don't do it, we don't help them understand and learn from these moments, what happens? Like us, they will continue to do it over and over again. God disciplines us because it's his way of showing us that we are his kids. We discipline our kids as a way of showing them, I love you so much and I care about you so much, I will not let you continue down the path in which you are going. You must change. The final one, and really, this is the most important part of anything. So if you stopped listening earlier, just listen to this. Your kids need you to think about the end. What do you want your kids to be when they grow up? What do you want your grandkids to be when they grow up? And I don't mean what they should do for a living, the career they have, or how much money they'll be to have success in their lives. When I ask this question about what your kids should be when they grow up, I, I'm actually asking, what kind of person will they be? Who will they be? These questions are important because as parents, we get so busy focusing on what is going on right now or in the near future. We tend to think about what is immediate. What will not matter most in their pre-adult years is, is what we're thinking about all. So we watch their grades and do everything we can to help make sure they do good in school. We obsess over their childhood friends and arrange playdates for them. We ensure they play the right sport or focus on the right artistic talent. And we're doing it completely wrong. All those things are fine, but if that's what we're focusing on, we're not focusing on the one thing that matters most, the end. We get so busy focusing on who kids are now that we forget to think about who they will become. Who will your children be when they're your age? You want your kids to love others? You got to model that. You want a child who realizes that marriage is awesome, but it takes a lot of work? Well, then you've got to show your kids that. You hope your child values uh, relationships over things, people over work, then show them that every opportunity they can. Respectful adults had parents who modeled respect. A man who honors his wife probably had a dad who did the same. 
A woman who knows the value of hard work most likely had a mother who taught her that. Honesty, a sense of fun, responsibility, creativity, genuineness, all these things are things we learn from our parents. The kind of person your children grow up to be is not determined by their school, by their coaches, uh, the people they play with. It's determined by us and the time that we put in to them. And Christian parents, whether you're hearing this online or hearing this right now, I got to say this to you. The, the kind of faith you want your child to have when they grow up, it's not the church's responsibility. It's not the job of all those amazing people over there in Journey Kids. It's our job. It's our job. We are the ones. Why do I know this? Well, think about this. How much time did Jesus spend with his disciples? And what was the purpose for it? He did this. He, uh, he had a small window of time. Three years. Three years to invest in these people to help them become people who would change the world. He spent every hour he could with them. He's every moment purposefully, thoughtfully, and with the end in mind. He knew he had to prepare them for whatever came next, knowing that even though they would have his love, his direction, and his guidance, he would not be there to help them along the way. It would be up to them. And that's ultimately our goal as parents too. 18 years goes by way too quickly. I have to look at my daughter Audrey every birthday. She turned 22 this last year. And I hold my hand like this, and then I look at her. Back to this, and look at this. I'm like, how did you go from this to that? Just like that. Time goes so fast. My prayer for every parent in this room and watching online can be summed up in these words from Psalm 90, verse 12. And this is why it's so important for us. Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach me to number my days. Pay attention to the time that I have. Invest in the time that I have with those people in my lives, especially those kids. Parents, grandkids, anybody that you have in your life that you, you, you have an opportunity to spend time with them, do it. Do it. My hope is that these things will help, help you Understand that the greatest thing you can give your children is the gift of this time. And all these things you do, all the rest of it, are just part of it to get you to the what? To the end. Will you stand up with me? Please, wherever you are, whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent, whether you know a kid, you have the opportunity to influence their lives, to make a difference, to make a change, to help them grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, just like Jesus did. But it's up to us. My challenge to you today is think about the end. Invest every moment you can. Give your kids grace. Give them something fun to do. Help them learn to be grateful. But most of all, just give them your time. In fact, I want to pray for you. If you don't mind, if you're a parent, if you've got kids, if you know a kid, this prayer is for you. Father God, we thank you for a day like today where we can pause, think about what matters most. And it's not our kids that matter most, God. It's what we end up helping them become that matters most. I pray for every parent in this room, every family represented, every child represented by any adult in this space. God, I pray that you will help these kids grow to know you, to grow to become great little humans. Help us, whether we're a parent, a grandparent, whether we're married or we're a single folk, God, that you will help us learn the importance of what it can mean to disciple little humans, to become who you called and created each of them to be. I pray a blessing on their family. I pray a blessing on their summer. I pray that you will give us time. 
Help us to number our days, God, so we truly understand the wisdom of what it means to love you. This for ourselves, but more importantly, for the little humans in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.